0: welcome back to camera conversations with your host colin campbell and today is episode 231 of the podcast and i'm joined in conversation by dr cassie holmes Cassie is a professor at UCLA Anderson School of Management and author, and an award-winning researcher of time and happiness. With that in mind, that is the two subjects that we focus on in today's episode, and you can expect to learn the main predictors for happiness in life, the best strategies for using your time wisely in alignment with your values, the relationship between time poverty and feeling poor and rushed, and time affluence. Actionable frameworks that you can take away to help you resist and push back on living life on autopilot and even how to make tasks that you don't particularly enjoy doing more enjoyable. I first read Cassie's book back in November 2022 so it was fantastic to get the opportunity to host her on the show so thank you to you the listener for supporting the show on that journey, subscribing, sharing with friends, leaving ratings and boosting the audience to a stage where we get to have continued amazing conversations with guests of this quality. If you too have the ambition to start, scale and sustain a podcast, then I've built a learning platform titled My Podcast Masterclass where you can do exactly that and get ready to start your own show, scale it to the size you want to get to, build your network, build your business, build your personal brand. That'll be linked in the show notes. It's mypodcastmasterclass.thinkific.com. But that's quite enough for me. I am so grateful for where we are in the podcast at this moment in time. And it cannot keep happening unless people like you keep sharing it with other people like you. So let's keep that momentum going. And the music's going to play, and you have just over an hour with myself and Doctor Cassie Holmes. Cassie, welcome to the show. We align the diaries, especially with somebody that's as uh, focused on time as you are.
1: <laughs> Hi, Colin. Thanks for having me.
0: And. I was understanding so much about your work in the last couple of years when I first came across your first book, happier hour, and you draw parallels between two areas that not everyone immediately associates and that's time and happiness. What did you find linked the two?
1: Yeah. And people don't immediately associate it because in this busy culture that we have as people are rushing around. And actually I would even say one of the motivators for myself and the work I do is that for me, for my happiness, time seemed to be the biggest barrier, not the source of happiness. Um, And indeed, so many of us are suffering from time poverty, this acute feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it. And oftentimes in in that feeling, in those days that we are rushing and so pressed for time, so overwhelmed, so stressed out, often there's this sort of idea and I have this notion that, oh my gosh, if only I had a lot more time, then I would be happier. And so to your question is, what is this link between and the one way to approach it is what's the link between the amount of time we have in our days and our happiness. And when I'm saying happiness, what I mean is both how we feel, in our days, but also that satisfaction we feel about our lives. So it it is this more cognitive evaluative thing as well. It's not just a sort of fleeting like, oh, do I feel pleasant right now? It is a really sense of satisfaction with our lives. And so the question is, if people had a whole lot more time in their days, would they, in fact, be happier, more satisfied? And we examine this. What is the relationship between the amount of discretionary time people have and their happiness and in our uh data what we did was we looked out among we looked at a huge sample of data among americans so using the american time use survey that captures how tens of thousands of working americans spend a regular day and we could calculate how much time they had available for discretionary activities and related that to their life satisfaction And to answer your question, what we found was that the relationship is an inverted U shape. So it's a negative quadratic relationship, which means like it's a arc or a rainbow, which means that happiness goes down on both ends of the spectrum. So people with too little time, the time poor, and in this data, it was those with less than approximately two hours of discretionary time in the day were less happy those are this and that's because they feel stressed out for all listeners here who like, don't feel like they have time. They're like, Yes, I feel stressed and unhappy." But what was super interesting was that on the other side of the spectrum, we found that those with more than approximately five hours of discretionary time in a day, were also less happy, which is super interesting, because in those hectic days of like if only i had more time life would be better the answer is actually that's not true and then the question is why how could there be such thing as having too much time and what it our data points to with additional studies is that when we spend all the days, hours of our days with nothing to show for it it undermines our sense of purpose it makes this us was one of the big
0: things that stood out to me cassie completely yeah. understand that because As you say, when you're so stretched with all the different things that are going on, you may be running from job to job, job to side hustle, job to family commitments. You feel stretched. And as you said, you wish for more time. I've heard you give the example before when you were on the train back from one of of your longer days and just thinking, wow, how can this keep up? But at the extreme end of the spectrum is if you do free up all this time and you don't spend it in a meaningful way, you don't get the rewards of this, this middle section where we have an element of discretionary time that we can assign to things that we care about and want to enjoy, but not too much because too much of a good thing turns into a bad thing.
1: Exactly. Because it makes us feel, and, and even for us busy people, we can absolutely think to those like points in our lives where maybe we did have too much time and it makes us feel unproductive. It makes us feel sort of like not worthwhile and it's, it's beyond boredom, right? It's just sort of this sense of... We don't feel fulfilled and satisfied in our lives. And so there's this actually pretty broad range. Sorry, I don't know why this has happened um, between two and five hours of discretionary time in the day where it's flat. And actually, except at the extremes, that relationship between how much time people have available and their happiness is like there's not a relationship, which is actually to your question like what is the link between time and happiness and the answer is it's not so much about how much time you have available it is much much more about how you spend the time that you do have available and happy to get into some of the insights there
0: of course and two hours actually seems like quite a lot to people at times as well (laughs) i think some people would maybe be like i can't believe somebody has as much as two hours discretionary but when I really analyzed from a selfish perspective, I was like, well, the walk I take in the morning, that's discretionary time. When I go and train at lunch or I train after work, that's discretionary time when I listen to a podcast, either when I'm preparing for a guest like yourself or where I'm just listening for 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 for, for general like self-development, that's discretionary time that I'm assigning to something that I, I care about. And it's not quote unquote work or an essential, it's a choice that I'm getting to make. So I guess- I definitely have more than two hours of discretionary time but sometimes when you get put on the spot especially when you feel stretched in a good way typically you're like oh two hours that seems like way too much discretionary time for somebody like me but I think I I think I'm fortunate enough to to be on that positive side of it
1: yeah and it's true because when I first heard the two hours I was like oh my gosh if only like that even seemed like this unreachable luxury, right. But then as you said, in that honest calculation, and I did that too, like, okay, you know, yes, it's on my walk to work. But during that walk, I'm on the phone with my best friend. And then, yes, I'm like, you know, busy at the end of the workday, but I'm sitting down with my husband for a glass of wine. And at that time, when I in the example of the crazy train where I'm like, I can't keep up with life. I had a baby and, um, and it's like, yes, I didn't have hours with my little one, but I absolutely it was like 30 minutes at the end of each day, just sort of singing him to sleep. And those that summed up when I was doing this calculation, like an hour and a half of time in even those, that sort of super hectic stage of my life where I wouldn't have wanted to spend in any other way um and so yes 2 hours sounds like a lot but it's not totally out of reach and if we can really sort of soak up those times that like you said you know your workout or And like, you really claim it as your time. And this is something that you're doing for yourself and preparing for a podcast. If you shift it from like, oh, this is something I have to do like homework into like, oh my gosh, this is such a delight. I get to learn about someone. And you know, that's, it's self motivating. So it's also as much about framing. It's like what the activities are, um, but also how we sort of think about those activities.
0: The language we use around them is, is vital and um, some of the recent guests that I've had in the mental performance space, um, both of them in America, Dr. Julie Gurner and Lauren Johnson, who was the uh, mental performance coach in New York Yankees, they were all talking about these little different changes in phrases. And I think you guys in the States do that really, really well in terms of get to instead of have to. And the general level of enthusiasm is slightly higher, and sometimes the kind of cynical British that kind of comes out in us sometimes. <laughs> and... I really, really think that when you reframe it, like, for example, I get to train, where something like, oh, I have to go to the gym after work because I, I feel like I'm out of shape or I'm not looking after myself. And I'm like, well, I get to train, like I'm buzzing to tick that box. And some days you do, you're not buzzing, of course you're not, but you feel better afterwards. And I think that conscious use of time is something that I'm so excited about today's conversation because you're really providing the facts and the figures and the encouragement for somebody to, really consciously assess what their diary looks like and what brings them happiness what brings them pain what brings them whatever feelings come up for us because one of the phrases i rally against all the time on the podcast is and people will be laughing down their airpods or through their car stereo just now is living life on autopilot and i think so many people now are on that autopilot life where they drag themselves out of bed late they go into work or they work from home and log to the laptop they scroll their phone in their lunch break they heat up their microwave dinner when, when work finishes and then they watch netflix for three hours before they put themselves into a coma and i'm just like no like let's reject that and assess what our day could actually look like and conversations like this one are, are a, a doorway to that for me cassie
1: yeah and it's so so important because that autopilot has us move through our days and ultimately how we spend the hours of our days sum up to the years of our lives and so if you're just moving through it then you're gonna in years like wake up and be like oh my gosh my life passed me by and that intense regret that comes from missing out on those years that you were living missing out on life and again to your opening question of like time and happiness it is so critical it's not just this thing that we invest it literally is the fabric of our lives and so if we're not paying attention or if we are on autopilot not just in terms of what activities fill our time but even while we're spending that time then we miss out. And, you know, life passes by with that in that blur. And that is what actually motivated me. I mean, the book is a sort of product of my whole career of research. I'm a business school professor. And my research, starting from my PhD, was absolutely about how do we make choices that are in line with our satisfaction and happiness and at a business school, my initial work was like, okay, you know, there's so much focus on money, but what if we shifted our attention towards time as that critical resource and what are the effects of that? And, um, in that work, I found that those it's all also irrespective of how much money and time people have available, but valuing time as a more critical resource is is really predictive of greater satisfaction, greater meaning, greater happiness, because what it does is it makes people intentional. To your point, it makes people shift from autopilot. Once you're like, oh my gosh, my time is so important. I need to make the most of it. It makes us intentional in how we spend it, both in terms of what activities we're gonna dedicate our time to and effort to, as well as how we engage during it.
0: An awful lot of living intentionally is awareness. And I had a guest recently speaking from a financial perspective, Rob Dix. He wrote a book called The Price of Money. And he was saying, oh, a lot of your audience are into the gym, aren't they? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, the first time you ever choose to track your calories, you become hyper aware now of how you're spending your caloric budget yeah. in the same way you become aware of how you're spending your, your time and if we look at our days like that in terms of we have a set allowance like let's say 16 hours hopefully we're getting eight hours in bed or eight hours of sleep although one of the biggest shocks for a lot of people is that eight hours in bed is not necessarily eight hours of sleep because of the quality we get but i really believe that when we become aware that we have this set amount of hours to assign to our day and the activities that we choose it really pulls into sharp focus as well one of the key things i wanted to understand before we really get into happiness and how we spend our time a uh, cassie is around happiness and your definition that you used for that because i think some people immediately jump to particular conclusions about what that might mean
1: yeah and i'm glad you asked that and i touched on it before because it is such an important point too particularly as you're saying you know the cynical uh, folks in the uk like happiness is such an american thing you know roll your eyes but what I'm talking about is what we talk about in the academic literature is subjective well being. So that includes both our experience during um, our days. So, feeling more positive than negative emotion in the day, in an experience, like how are you feeling right now? But also, it is coupled with how satisfied we feel about our days and ultimately how satisfied we feel about our lives. And more often than not, actually, they're so tightly correlated, which is why they get grouped into this construct. They move together. Things that um, make us feel good are satisfying, and things that are satisfying make us feel good. And yes, there are activities that um, maybe are a little more rewarding, but not necessarily enjoyable in the moment, or things that... It might seem enjoyable, but aren't rewarding. But when you actually look at the data and going back to, as you said, the time tracking, how do you um, sort of know what you, how you're spending it? Be intentional. And in an um, uh, exercise that I think is super important, I'm teaching right now in my MBAs, they had this as their assignment last week, was to track their time for the, over the course of a week. And for each half hour, write down what they're doing. So what is that activity? But as well as coming out of that activity, rating on a 10 point scale, how did they feel and really what it's picking up on of how satisfied, you know, like, how did you feel coming out of that time? And while it is tedious to do the tracking, it's so worth it, because at the end of the week, they have this fantastic data set that they can look for themselves, what are those activities that were the most worthwhile that made them feel the best? What are those activities that made them feel the worst? And then picking up on what are some commonalities among their most positive activities? What are those commonalities among their negative activities? And it's interesting when you talk about intentionality, the mere tracking shifts how people spend their time. Like from day one and two, they start changing how they spend their time because writing it down and sort of seeing their ratings, like paying attention, they're like, you know what, that social media time, you know, you have this like notion of like, oh, that's my fun time. And then they start seeing like, wow, I'm spending a lot more time than I thought. And holy cow, it doesn't actually make me feel good. And in some cases, actually, you come out of that time and you feel pretty crummy. And so that is very informative it holds up a
0: mirror it holds up a mirror to how you truly feel rather than like the phrase autopilot i've I've used already because oh that's just what i do after work yeah okay but you've just looked at it and you've written it down for two days in a row and you don't actually feel good after it you're scoring like a four wouldn't it be great if you did something different that scored you like an eight or a nine Life would be an awful lot better wouldn't it because you'd be double as happy or double as satisfied with how you're spending your time which is such a a thing that i think we would all strive for and when we have the the knowledge that that's what we want
1: yeah and it's not like me being like you should spend your time in this way you should it's literally one's own experience and one's own ratings and that's the information and it's also there's sometimes like these really like big surprises that come out of it like people have these notions of like oh i enjoy doing that and also not just because they do it but they're like oh that's like we pull these societal yeah about like what what is enjoyable what is you know fun what um but that doesn't necessarily and in often case doesn't line up with the actuality of how we experience those your data
0: on tv was really interesting and how (laughs) after that first hour of watching whatever show we've chosen to watch yeah there's like a sharp decline in the satisfaction and happiness reflecting on that period but also within that time as well And I think some people would be really surprised if they did that analysis to see that, yes, that first hour is maybe exciting because they're watching the series they enjoy again, but kind of binge watching has like the same effect as many, many things when you do it in excess, it just deteriorates. And there's like a diminishing returns on investment of time at that point.
1: Yeah. And enjoyment and it's picking up on um, hedonic adaptation. So that's our psychological propensity to get used to things over time. And we adapt to experiences such that as we do it over and over again or over time, it stops having as intensive an effect on us. And so that is absolutely what comes up. Yes, it happens over the course of years, but it totally happens over the course of hours. And so we are most sensitive to activities and the impact of them at the beginning. And so, and then over time, like we adapt and we start paying less attention. And the case of binge watching TV hour five, it actually feels negative because then we're stressed and we feel bad about ourselves, you know, et cetera. But if you recognizing the role of hedonic adaptation, if you like spread out, you know, so for watching TV, actually one of my students was talking about he's a gamer and he he saw in his time tracking, he's like, that first hour is super fun. But then those subsequent hours, and so with that insight, it's like, okay, Well, why don't I spread out (laughs) those hours, like have an hour here, two days later, have an hour. And then that time that you're spending is all maximally enjoyable. Um, and you're not sort of losing out on those subsequent hours, which again, for those of us who are time poor is a strain. And so how can, and then it allows us to reallocate those hours to something that will, you know, give higher ratings.
0: Exactly. What activities commonly showed up as. The ones that gave us the most return for happiness
1: um consistently <laughs> social connection um and in particular so if you look at the research on average those activities that tend to produce the greatest happiness satisfaction are those that connect us with other people whether sort of intimately um or spending time with family and friends but I actually think it's important to do the time tracking and not rely on these general averages because for an individual, what are those activities that actually, that's the social activities that feel more connecting for one person might not feel similarly connecting for another person. So again, the time tracking actually allows you to identify like, Oh, actually. So I found in my time tracking, for instance, for me, It's one on one time, like whether it's with a family member, whether it is with friends, I actually far prefer that like going meeting up with a friend for a drink and getting into that like deeper, more authentic conversation where I get to like listen to their lives versus the bigger group dinners or the cocktail parties. Um, whereas actually that's not true for everyone. So some of my students, for instance, they actually found that being in those big groups totally gave them that excitement and energy and sense of belonging and community. And so the underlying answer is social connection, like really feeling a sense of belonging, but the ways of spending time that are likely to contribute to that for an individual vary by individual. So social connection. Also, exercise is a big one. And this is one that like, oftentimes people are like, oh, such a chore, right? I don't want to do it, even though it sounds like you are very in tune to the fact that your exercise is like a source of like goodness for you. But a lot of people are like, oh, it's a chore. But then they actually see their ratings. And not only do they feel actually pretty good once they're in it and doing it, but it has these wonderful carryover effects, whereby your subsequent activities—and that's the cool thing about time tracking too—is you not only see, pad- like you know, web activities, but you see these patterns of like when you start your day off exercising, then you have this like mood boost that sort of carries through. Um, I love I
0: love this concept because I first read your book late twenty twenty two. Would that have been yeah. yeah? That'd be right i like genuinely we're talking within like three or four weeks i am on sahil bloom's email list called the curiosity chronicle and i've had sahil on the show and he talks about an energy calendar where you color code in the same way with the tracker yeah and you could do it red amber green based on how it made you feel and he was saying how often when he puts in his exercise or he goes for a walk with his son or with his wife he's like green 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 and the activities that come afterwards whether it's deep written work whether it's he jumps in a podcast he records a youtube video he's like i feel great so it's funny if we start to understand that we can also allocate time at the right time so i know i've typically for most of my sales career i've worked from home albeit i've gone out to see clients at different times as well but if i go a walk in the morning rather than just rolling out of bed and jumping on social media and logging onto the laptop I'm so much more articulate, I'm more verbose, I'm more on my toes, I'm more able to contribute to my working day immediately, because I've served myself first, and I've moved my body. And you can use a corny phrase like motion is lotion, whatever helps you get there. But for me, I recognize that. And if I'm doing an energy calendar, that morning walk, like seven to eight is green, because then I arrive at work, and I'm ready to go. And it's only by analyzing that, and obviously having it reinforced by, by you too, is let me explain that maybe to more people to try and encourage them to do the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because it's in the um, time tracking, it's like, it allows you to identify what are those activities that are the most positive and worthwhile, but also you pick up on, and you can even do this like just by introspecting. It's like, are you more of a morning person? (laughs) Are you more of an evening person? And aligning when you then go on, because I talk about how the time tracker, you do it for a week or two to get the information of yourself. But then the next step is to then design an ideal week with this information how can you actually sort of construct your schedule so that you're getting the most positive effects from the good stuff diminishing the negative effects of the bad stuff and that's where you like as you're saying it's like if you are very intentional about placing some of these activities in particular parts of the day like in the morning getting that exercise in. And also there's actually research that points to the value of getting outside. Um, and this isn't just us lucky ones here in Southern California where I am now. This was based on coming from data out of the UK where they used geolocation data so they could identify at any moment where someone was and then it would ping them and ask, how are you feeling right now? And what they found was that there was a significant positive effect of simply being outside compared to being inside. And yes, it was like also positive when the weather was nice (laughs) Um, and being in a natural environment versus an urban environment, but controlling for the effect of weather and controlling for the outside environment, it still had this positive effect of being outside compared to being inside. And so when you're like constructing your day, it's like, as you said, that like, getting out of bed, the worst thing you can do is wake up and start scrolling. That is like a day ruiner, because then it's pulling your attention to all the anxiety, it makes you much more reactive as opposed to proactive in your day. But if you like, wake up, get out go exercising and outside get that exposure and then like dig right into that great work the part of your work that is like you know the stuff that both brings you joy but also you know is maybe sometimes more cognitively demanding um i would amid, call it the Dell
0: movers, like the things that move the move things forward the the ones that make the boat go faster so like for me in sales it's my outbound calls or it's my emails or it's drafting a presentation i'm going to deliver or rehearsing it and practicing it that's the most cognitively demanding but it's also the stuff that you want to feel at your peak when you're doing rather than like admin and loading stuff onto a crm or whatever else you're doing you want to be like at your peak when you're doing the things that really get get things going in the right direction so i, I completely agree what were some of the things you mentioned scrolling of course that were the highest predictors of maybe people being like dissatisfied with how they spent their time.
1: Yeah. So scrolling was one of them. And it, it the problem with scrolling is that a it people spend more time than they think. So it's like, you think it's going to be five minutes. I'll just do it really quick. But then it turns into like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then in the time tracker, you're like, see how that adds up to like, you know, 10 hours a week. And it's like, oh my gosh. But not only do people feel badly because it's a waste of time, but the time itself actually, when people use social media passively to watch other people's lives, um, and it's a not representative sampling of other people's lives through social comparison, it makes them feel worse. So scrolling. Commuting. (laughs) So time spent commuting is among the least happy. And that too is because it's picking up on It feels like a waste of time. You're just trying to get through it. Um, And we can talk about how like to make that time better, but um, also for many work hours, like, and this though, it's like bundling work um, and the research points to um, work hours as among our least happy. But the time tracking here is also really important because then it allows you to pick up for you you know, there's some work activities that actually are quite miserable, but then there's work activities that are really satisfying. Fulfilling.
0: They make yeah. you feel like you've got a purpose that you have a role to play within your organization or your business. I think that's vital as well. And that's why totally. when some like younger guys who listen to the show, ask me about like maybe not finding purpose within a nine to five. And of course I'm building the podcast on the side and it's going fantastically well, but I remain like, enjoying the stuff i do because in sales you can really see and feel the tangible impact you have so i know that the client that i bring in is worth x revenue is worth y to the company is worth z to me in terms of commission everything else it's like really clear for me to see whereas i can understand when somebody maybe can't identify what role their cog plays within the machine that's when i can understand that their maybe time at work is maybe harder for them to be like oh well that was really satisfying like that particular excel or whatever it was you're like okay well I would really delve and ask like management or whoever okay well wh- what have I what I've done today well, what does that mean for the the wider business what's it mean for yeah. profitability what's that mean for our customer service whatever the metric is it's sometimes really valuable to understand what you what you did within that in order to then feel better about the the effort and the time that you've expended
1: absolutely and there's research to support that so when people know the meaning of their work, it increases um, both their motivation, persistence and enjoyment. Like for as one study and uh, they were, it was among um, folks who were working in a call center and it was actually for a university and raising um, money for the endowment. Yeah, and it's a miserable job because you have a script, you were cold calling people, they're hanging up on you, they're always saying no, it's like totally miserable. But they had this experiment where for half of the um, uh, employees, they had a student come in who was a bene- like benefited from their own financial aid. And they explained like my having financial aid, the, like the money that you guys are raising has totally changed my life that I am uh, able to be here. And then what they found was that those callers that had been exposed to understand the meaning of their work, um, were they raised more money, they enjoyed the task more, they, were, they spent more time on the phone. And so it's, it's really understanding the meaning now to your point, absolutely. Go ask your supervisor, like to have them frame, like how does your work fit into this? But also it's really important for individuals to identify for themselves their why, like, what is their, purpose and i talk about this and actually there's a helpful exercise that i walk my students through and i actually found it very helpful for myself the five whys exercise um which is finding your own meaning so like if i were to ask you what do you do for work and then you answer and then i ask well why is that important to you and then your answer to that i ask again well why is that important to you And answering these five levels of why for yourself is actually really revealing because it uncovers like, what is it that really drives you? What is intrinsically motivated, motivating, and you can use that as your metric of success that is much more sustainable and exciting and rewarding all of them, motivating, like all these things, than just like, you know, your job description or making more money. And so like, it also shifts how you view particular tasks. So like, if like me going through this exercise, it's like, what do you do for work? Well, I'm a business school professor. Why is that important? I want to create and disseminate knowledge. Well, why is that important? And I dug into like, ultimately, it's about creating knowledge about happiness, disseminating knowledge about happiness, And then why is that important well i want to help people be happier and this is helpful for me because identifying it it informs what projects i take on so if for instance i'm asked to speak on a panel like uh, you know at the school then if it's about disseminating knowledge about happiness sure if it's about something that is very reasonable for me to ask like you know i'm a marketing professor so you know, come talk about <laughs> i don't know social media for instance it's reasonable to be asked but i'm like you know what nope that's not in line so it sort of determines how you spend your time like what i would describe
0: that as a filter
1: yes it's absolutely. a filter
0: for all the different things that you're asked and there's always a, t- a point in somebody's life or their career where they have to start saying no to more things there's there's an early part of your career where it's beneficial to say yes and be open to experience and gather this but as you've gained your expertise in your field there's more opportunities than there is time for you to assign to it and understanding your why and your values and making sure that the things that you say yes to are in line with that i think is a fantastic framework for people to employ because then they're they're much more at ease with rejecting something because rejecting things doesn't feel nice rejecting someone is not a is not a, a, a thing that many of us find particularly easy but you're much more able to do it if you realize that it's in service of your greater good and your values, which will allow you to contribute in the areas that you feel that you really can.
1: Absolutely. So it's so important to have it as a filter. And as you said, it's really, it's valuable to have that clarity of what is in fact sort of worth your time versus not as helpfully. And particularly, as you said, in that early phase of your career where, you know, like, actually the value is saying yes, so that you are reliable and showing up for these folks who will then come to you and be like, you are awesome. Let me, you know, like, I want you as part of my team and, you know, continuing, but it also influences how, again, going to that mindset perception of these different activities. Like I hate email. I really do. And I, um, but when I see an email coming in from a research collaborator, then I'm like, okay, I reframe it, it's not email. It's about creating knowledge about what makes people happy. It's that research component. Or if I see email from a student, I'm like, it's not email. It's really about this dissemination of knowledge. It's about connecting to the sort of audience. And so it even like reframes your task and like, you know, in early in one's career, there might be things that just actually throughout one's career, there are absolutely parts of the job that are not fun. But knowing the why of those tasks makes it so much more worthwhile because you ask, like, what are those activities that tend to like be the least happy? They What they are are those activities that are thwarting in self-determination theory. This is a theory in psychology of what really drives us. Um, like what are those things that when um, we, we feel fulfilled, like that we're reaching those things, then we feel satisfied when those things are thwarted, it's actually quite frustrating and painful. So the three things that drive us are relatedness, so social connection. Um, and so when that gets thwarted, when we feel lonely or isolated or left out, that's a, that's a bad activity. Um, competence. So the sense of us accomplishing and have being able to affect, um, our lives, um, that is a good thing. But when that gets thwarted and we feel like we're unproductive or wasting our time, that is, that's why commuting gets on there. Um, that's why scrolling can get on there. Cause it feels like a waste. We are not producing and we're not feeling competent. um, The third one is a sense of agency or control. Um, And so you see that when we feel like we have control in our, our environment or with our time, that's a good thing. But when we feel like we are not in control, then it's a bad thing. And that's where these obligations sort of find their way in there. That if if something feels like it's happening to you that is outside of your control, it feels quite negative. Um, but in those situations, it's helpful if you're like, okay, you know, my boss is asking me to do this. I don't really want to. But then if you're like, okay, what's the why of this? Like, how is this in service of my purpose? Then it actually, like, it gives you a sense of agency um, and it makes it feel less worthwhile. So also a sense of competence. Um, And so you can, again, understanding the underlying psychology helps you both decide what activities are are worth your time, but also helps you think about your activities in such a way that they feel less onerous and can actually feel quite satisfying.
0: So well explained, because when we understand our why, we can often bear much more difficult house. And that's why when you were explaining there around if your boss assigns a particularly difficult task to you that you don't feel like you're 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 gonna enjoy or you're capable of, or you feel it's not in line with what you really want to be doing, their job as well is to understand your psychology and to work with you to make you feel like it's going to do something that's important for the overall business, it's important for you, that's important for them. And getting like that mutual buy-in between the two of you is a really, really powerful thing. Yeah, but phrases- not
1: have it sound like, not be like your boss asks you to do something, you're like, why, why am I doing this? That's not the way to frame it. But it would be like, oh my gosh, like, can you help me understand how this fits in? You know, how does it contribute?
0: Like, yeah. Yeah. and, And also when you have a wider understanding of the activities that you do and what their ROI is for you and for the business, like you say is it's empowering you with the facts to enable you to decide what really is going to matter and it could also instruct future career decisions as well whether you even want to go down the path that you're on in terms of the particular sector within a business that you're in or whether you want to start your own business and it's what what area you think that you can contribute the most heavily and it feels like gives you a positive feedback loop like competence for example like one of the biggest things for me is like the things that i do i go narrow and deep and i try and pursue mastering the things that i'm doing so if you ask me to do particular things, turns out I'm not very good at them because I've just never spent any time focusing on them because I've decided that's not a priority for me. Instead, there's maybe a handful of things where people will be like, oh, Colin's pretty good at that. He's got a level of mastery in that. But guess what? That's because I've decided that's the things that I'm going to walk my my time towards. One of the phrases that I really, really like from you is turning a routine into a ritual. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. And this is one of these, uh, it's a really important um insight because pulling out of, you know, I talked about hedonic adaptation before, um, in the sense of like gaming or watching TV over the course of hours, we get used to things over time, but also we get used to things in our lives. And so, you know, when you do the same thing again and again, when you're with the same person over time, they stop having as intensive an emotional effect on you. And so even if I, you know, were to ask you to reflect on your last week, what were those things that brought you joy? Sometimes, like it takes a moment to even identify them. Yet there is so much goodness right there in your like, think about the first day you moved into your new apartment and you're like, this is amazing, or you had like a view, or you get get that first, you know, job and you're like, This is amazing. But, you know weeks or months into it certainly years into it you stop noticing like that you know apartment <laughs> it, it becomes you
0: don't the norm. Even
1: it. yeah um and that can happen in really even just joyful things like um i share this example because one of my sources of joy is my coffee dates with my daughter and she we started when she was uh, three every week, as after I dropped the big kids off at school, and I had to take her to, um, to drop her over to preschool next to my office, I wanted coffee. So we would stop at the coffee shop, but it was a routine, something that we did and routines are things that we do mindlessly. And they're very effective and helpful in getting us through our days and lives. But they're mindless. And what we did was we turned this routine into a ritual and even calling it a ritual changes it. it makes it special and so our coffee date ritual turned into this thing where like she would get her hot chocolate i get my flat white we get our croissants and it's 30 minutes each week that it's just the two of us hanging out and this ritual was something that we like would talk about and you know we, it has a name the thursday morning coffee date which now happens on the weekend because she goes to school too early, but we still call it the Thursday morning coffee date. And it has all of these sort of qualities of we do it just in this special way and it makes us pay attention. And so you can think about, and actually research shows that couples who have shared rituals report greater relationship satisfaction. Families who have shared holiday traditions um, are more likely to gather for the holidays and enjoy the holidays more. And these rituals or traditions don't are not religious at all. It's just, what, what do you do consistently in this special way and just the way that you do it? And when they're shared, it's like extra special, but you can shift anything, like even your own, like even say like your morning routine, if you turned it into a morning ritual, what does that mean? Like, it's like, ah, like you get out of that and like, or even your morning coffee ritual. It's like creating this space that makes you, it makes it special so it has you continue to pay attention which helps offset hedonic adaptation. And even pairing that more with yet another strategy that helps offset hedonic adaptation so that you continue to enjoy and notice the good stuff is counting your times left of doing these things. So often we assume that these activities that we enjoy and that are part of the fabric of our everyday life are going to be available forever. But just because they're everyday activities does not mean they're going to happen every day and continue to, because circumstances in your life will change. If you're joyful ritual or activity involves someone else circumstances in that person's life will likely change. Even I know you did this work with your daughter
0: because she's of a particular age and she's not always going to be of that age. She's not always going to have the same routine. You've already moved it from the Thursday to the Saturday in order to accommodate that period. And I think, these things get brought into sharp focus at different times in our lives. And an exercise that I've done before is calculate the number of times, um, depending on how often you see your parents or your family, how often you might see them again before the end yeah. of their lifetime. I was actually at, at, at a funeral this morning. And so it's particularly poignant for me thinking about how much time you have left to spend with particular individuals based on the, the average life expectancy, the number of times you see them per year or the number of times you do these activities. And, sometimes it takes events like that to really bring these things into sharp focus but conversations like this one where you've taken the time to calculate what that might mean in terms of number of times you'll get to go through the the thursday coffee date with your daughter it's it's really important because it also enhances how present we'll be during the times that we do spend because Mm -hmm. one of my biggest challenges with i think everyone but also myself is when you are spending time with loved ones is being there at that time and not being worried about the next thing you've got booked and the next thing you have to do or what's happened with the linkedin post or the instagram post or the podcast or or the work email or whatever it is because those will always be there and that person is much less likely to always be there whether that's through and um, passing away or moving location or changing job or their schedule changes you have to take these things into account and i always try and like i i'm very fortunate i live 10 minutes away from my parents' house. So I see them really regularly. In fact, my mom actually printed off the notes that I use for my podcast quite regularly. So I get to see her quite a lot before I record and I record twice a week, so that's great. But making sure that when I'm with her, I'm not like tempted by the email on my phone or the social media post that I need to put up and just being there with her. And I'm accumulating a lot of time with her, but the time has got to be of a high quality as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And so when I calculated with my daughter, she's only eight now. And I was like, okay, you know, we go on our weekly coffee dates now, but then she's going to turn 12 and probably want to go to the coffee shop with her friends instead of me. So it's going to be a negotiation, right? So it'll probably be like once a month, say, and then she's going to go after college and then she's going to move to New York. Like you're lucky, you know, you live near your mom, but a lot of folks don't live near their families. And so I calculated that Lita and I have about... 36% of our coffee dates together left. And at first you might be like, oh, that's plenty. It's like, no, it's not. She's that's less than half and she's only eight years old. And so that recognition absolutely influences, like makes me prioritize it. So even in those busy weeks, I protect that 30 minutes um, with for the coffee date. But then as you said, as importantly, It totally influences how i'm engaging during that time how you show up yeah my phone is away because these phones are such you know they're so helpful but they are such a source of destruction they pull our minds everywhere other than where we are but also that to-do list as you said like you're sort of thinking about always what's next what should i be doing and that gets quieted because this time is what matters and recognizing the preciousness of it really makes us pay attention And I mean, pulling these examples, you know, if your listeners are younger, like they would be, like, oh, I have plenty of time. But the people in your life, as you said, your parents, you know, there's limited time that you will have with them. And depending on where they live, and then some of my, you know, MBAs, uh, I had them calculate times left of doing something that they enjoyed. And one of um, them, he calculated um, watching football with his buddy <laughs> and, and when they were high schoolers they did it like every weekend basically all weekend they were on the couch and then they went off to college and so it was like during breaks um but they would go home and now they both have their partners and so even if they make the trip to get to hang out like their partners aren't all fired up about sitting on the couch you know the entire day watching football so it, he calculated that he has like five percent with of watching you know time watching sports with his buddy and like just- a, like recognizing that circumstances in lives change, and so this thing that brings you joy that might feel quite available <laughs> no won't always be so and so like soaking it up when you are spending that time
0: let's make the most of it yeah i i i truly really believe that and if it takes a conversation like this one or if it takes you to go to an event like i've been at this morning to try and reinforce that lesson then it 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 really really matters um yeah it was a pretty emotional day today so i was really excited to have this conversation just based on like that that element of the conversation in particular one of the things I was I was thinking about before we wrap up is that you mentioned commuting being one of the most unpleasant um, experiences <laughs> and I know I've seen data and um, I will need to, to look it up because I'm going to mention it on more and more podcasts now but basically as soon as your commute gets over an hour like your happiness is like significantly impacted and the number of people that have that in their life is quite noticeable yeah. but you have a way of improving the quality of that time so that it's I don't want to say more bearable but more enjoyable
1: yeah and so this is picking up on the bundling is the strategy and it's um it's a very helpful sort of strategy that pulls out of actually the motivation research by uh, one of my colleagues katie milkman and it's so simple yet so effective and it is basically if you bundle something that you don't want to do like commuting and the reason commuting is so painful is because it does feel like a waste of time um with something that you do want to do like listening to a wonderful podcast uh where you get to learn and be inspired um then it makes that time feel less like a waste and actually in some cases more fun um and so linking commuting with like so often people use that time mindlessly too they're like scrolling through if they're on the train scrolling through social media if they're in the car scrolling through radio stations but if you're intentional and every time you get in the car you line up you know queue up your podcasts then it's enjoyable or listen to audiobooks actually in my time poverty work I ask people what's an activity that you don't have time to do that you wish you had more time to do lists or reading books for pleasure is one of those things that people feel like they don't have time to do but if every time you got in the car or got on the train and either opened a book turned on an audiobook then each week you know you get to read a whole book and all of a sudden that time like now I will I will totally admit that like even when I get to where I'm going I'll like sit in the car for like five more minutes just to hear (laughs) let's finish this show yeah
0: I, I i mostly listen to music when i train but when i'm quite stretched for time i will listen to podcasts coming up if i'm doing like two or three a week i need i need to i need to keep on up to date but there's some that i'm listening to in the car to the gym and then i go inside the train and i'm like whoa this is staying on because i'm just so wrapped <laughs> yeah. in it and there's an element of the journeys that we do it's far it's very likely we take the same road or we take the same strain track we take the same tube stops whatever it is or we walk the same distance the way that we can create novelty and make it slightly more memorable, because I know that's a huge part in how we remember our time having some sort of difference in it is, Oh, last week, last Friday, when I walked to work, I listened to this episode with Dr. Cassie Holmes, or I listened to this episode with whoever it was. And you can then bring those lessons forward and speak to people about what you listened to on that, that walk or that, that journey. And it's much more likely than you remember your commute favorably because it contributed to things in that moment, but also, Thereafter, and I, I and I love that, and I've long been an advocate of of bundling. And every year, I do whatever age I am, number of thoughts at that age. So last year, I did uh, thirty thoughts at thought, at thirty, and one of them was talking about time management because people are always asking, like, how do you have a sales directorship and you run a run a podcast at like this one and you train all the time and you have a life And I'm saying, well, I bundle things up. So like when I'm like I I now outsource my cleaning and my meal prep, but When I did those things in the past, I was listening to podcasts, I was on the phone to friends, whatever it was, just to make that time more pleasant, but also more memorable as well. And I really think that's like such a huge time management hack. And I love that the time that we've spent together today, you would maybe assume that we would have like loads of like time management hacks to like make the most of your time. But it's been far more about actually understanding from like a helicopter view and then mapping out your day and your week and your life based on that.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, even my research supports that. When we think about our time from this broader perspective, in terms of years in our life overall, then what that does is it clarifies what's important. And then that ladders back to influence how we spend our hours today. Um, And with that, it makes us more intentional. It makes it more fulfilling. um, And even, and it also like intentional, like filtering out, like it is it is worth spending a little money to outsource some of these tasks so that it frees up time. So you can dedicate it to something that you enjoy, or if you don't have the funds to outsource, then at least make that time more joyful by, um, inspiring you yourself by listening to something. Um, yeah. So it's about, again, how we spend these hours of our days sum up to our lives. And we want to, not just move through it. We don't want to move through our lives. We want to absolutely live it um, and make the most.
0: Completely agree, Cassie, and a really nice note for us to wrap up on. I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed this as much as I have. Where should they head towards to continue the conversation with you?
1: Um, My website, Cassie M. Holmes, um, and that's where you can find information about my book. And yeah, where I am in the world. I'm not on social media otherwise, really.
0: <laughs> so- Fantastic, Cassie. That, that'll be linked in the show notes. Thank you so much to you. And thank you to you, the listener. I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.